What a way to start the morning. Let's uh, take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand. Welcome those around you to our service this morning. All right, don't get too comfortable sitting. Got to stand up. We're going to continue to worship the Lord together, singing I Saw the Lion. I wonder so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let mine, dear Savior, in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears, I cling for my own. Then like a blind man, I got you back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord. I saw the light, and I was a fool to wander and stray. Straight is the gate and narrows the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord! I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light.
I can speak loud enough. All right, that works. Another announcement uh, that we did not mention in the beginning because we have a short video that we would like to show um, is the Operation Christmas Child Ministry. Now, there are some boxes out in the, in the foyer. Are there, there's some left, actually, is the way we should say it. There are some left. They go very quickly. If this is something that you'd like to be involved in, please make sure that you pick them up today because um, they probably won't be here um, much longer. So uh, I have a short video that we're going to show. It's like a whole world to them because for the first time they have received this precious gift. The message through the box is not only the toys that makes them smile. The message here is that Jesus loves them. You've got an army of volunteers that pack the boxes are helping OCC to take the gospel literally to millions of children. We are opening doors for other churches and other parts of the world to do ministry in their local community. They receive a box and also an invitation to come back and learn more about Christ. We just don't want to just hand out a box and stop there. We want them to grow in their faith. So it started with a box, and it's ending with communities and countries being changed. ceases to amaze me how a simple box can change the world for a child. <laughs> Thousands will be impacted by just one gift. You know, as, as I was watching that, I thought, you know, we here uh, in America, we have so much. And a little box, a little stuffed toy or a little car means so much. So grab the boxes. There's still a few more out there in the foyer. And uh, take those home and, and fill those up. I have a note from uh, Sandy Snyder. Again, it's great, Sandy, to see you this morning. I would like to thank you for your prayers, delicious meals, and phone calls and visits during my time of healing, God is good. 
uh, Sandy Snyder. So continue to pray for Sandy as she uh, continues to uh, heal. Also, Gene Weaver is going to be having hip surgery on the 26th of this month. Uh, so we need to keep Gene in our prayers. And we received good news uh, regarding uh, Jerry Miller's brother, Joe. Uh, they had tests done this week, and there were no traces of cancer in his body. So that's a real answer to prayer. Uh, so we're thankful uh, to God for that. Others, we come before the throne of grace. You are a wonderful and great God. Lord, you're able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. There's nothing, Lord, that you cannot do. The Bible is quite clear as it speaks of you as an omnipotent God, a God who is almighty, the great creator, the God who sits on his throne and rules and reigns over the universe. Father, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you look down upon us and in your great love, you sent your son into this world so that, Father, we might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for the willingness of Jesus to lay down his life on our behalf, for the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. Father, we stand before you this morning with great assurance in our hearts, with no doubts in our minds, that we are your children through faith in Christ. Father, we do want to ask you to touch the bodies of these folks that uh, we have mentioned, as well as others. We thank you for Sandy and for the progress and pray that it might continue. Think of Gene Weaver as he anticipates this surgery on the 26th, that Lord, all would go very well. And Father, we've been praying for Joe for a number of months now. And Lord, it's good to hear uh, of this report, this good report, an excellent report, Lord. And we pray that this might encourage his heart, for Father, he has been through so much. Father, we think of others. We certainly think of Fred. It's good to have him with us this morning. And Dave, Lord, these who have been continually committing to you. Uh, we think, Lord, of others, Lord, who are on this list who we don't know. But, Father, it's a friend of someone in the church. Father, we've been praying for many, many of these. And we just ask, Lord, that your hand of grace and mercy, Lord, might be upon them. Father, you are a great God, and we're thankful once again to allow, for, for allowing us uh, to be here, uh, to be in this place. Lord, this is your day. This is a day which we set aside each week to come apart from the world and be able to come inside these walls. Father, we've come to see you. We've come to hear from you. We've come to feel your presence. And so I pray, Lord, that we might be in a position where, Father, we might have ears to hear. Father, we're not always in that position. We often come with sin in our hearts. We often come, Lord, with things on our minds that ought not be there. And so we ask that you forgive us of our sins. You might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For, Father, we want to hear from heaven. Father, we think of our nation. Think of the words of Solomon when he said that we are to humble ourselves and pray. And then, Lord, you will heal our land. Father, we pray that you might move in a mysterious and mighty way. And might change the people of this nation, change our hearts, and turn them back to you. Father, we know that you are a great and mighty God. We know, Lord, that you're able to do all things. And we know, Lord, that you're watching over us. Bless us, we pray. Father, I thank you again for this special hour that you have given to us. May your spirit have free course and be glorified. Lord, speak clearly to us. Speak clearly to us and change us and mold us into the image of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Then is going to come. He's going to lead us in a hymn. There's within my heart a melody. Hymn number 393. I have it marked in my hymn book, the hymn book that I use, and I'm probably the one that marked it there. We sing stanzas one and two, then the refrain, stanza three and four, and then the refrain, and then, of course, stanza five. Now, the organists and the musicians all get that. Okay. <coughs> Stand with me as we sing. Almost forgot that. There's within my heart a Dismissed, and you can be seated. So, a mother comes home one day and she sees her five children who are all huddled together over in the corner of one room. They're very intensely focused on something. As she walks closer, uh, she sees that right in the middle of these five children are five baby skunks. <laughs> she, of course, panics, and she shouts at the top of her lungs, Run, children! Each grabs a skunk, <laughs> and they run. As someone said, life sometimes feels like that. You have a full head of steam and you're moving forward. The wind is in your sails when suddenly you hit a sandbar. It's like confronting a room full of skunks. You just want to get away from it all. You feel angry, maybe confused. Maybe sometimes discouraged or disappointed. Maybe life is filled with bitterness or depression or frustration. And all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord, it's gone. It's just gone. 
But God wants for us to know his joy. God wants for his children to be a joy-filled people. What is joy? Chuck Swindoll said this, Joy is a positive attitude that we choose to express. It's not necessarily pie in the sky. It doesn't come and go like the wind. And our circumstances, they do not determine our joy. Our circumstances, he said, they do not determine our joy. Where does joy come from? The Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, in the last chapter, in verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. For Paul, joy was found in Jesus. The book of Philippians is an interesting book. And we're going to start a series today in this book, taking each chapter, four of them, and looking at each one in the next four weeks. But what the book of Philippians does is it, it, it highlights, it highlights both the difficulty of Paul's circumstances, but it also highlights the joy that Paul was able to find right in the middle of them. For Paul was in prison. Paul was under house arrest. We know as we read through the letters of Paul, the beatings, the suffering that this man went through, and yet he was able to find in all of that the joy he speaks of in the book of Philippians. This is a series on thriving. Today is the lesson. Thriving in life's storms. Thriving in the storms of not just surviving. I think sometimes what we do is we just try and survive. We just try to get through another day. Is that how Christians are to live? Are we to thrive in the midst of the storms? Paul said in the first chapter of the book of Philippians, For me to live is Christ. You see, Paul's most precious possession was his relationship with Jesus. And that's what brought joy. Paul didn't look around him and find joy in the things of life. Life didn't always throw Paul a bed of roses. As a matter of fact, Paul went through a lot of persecution for the name of Jesus. And yet he was able to write this book that's filled with joy as he's chained and bound by a prison guard. So would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. I'd like to start at verse 12. And you listen as I read, and let's see where Paul finds his joy. Philippians 1.12 says this, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and I, I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but with sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, uh, this will mean fr a fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Someone has once said that it's how you see life that defines how you will face life. Let me read that again. How you see life defines how you will face life. Let me tell you a story that will help you understand that statement. There was a farmer, and this farmer, he was looking at his farm after many, many years of farming. But he was looking at his farm through very critical eyes. Every place he looked on his farm, there was something wrong. So he decided to sell the farm. He called a realtor, and the realtor came over, and he looked the place over. And he called the farmer and wanted to get the farmer's approval for an ad that he was putting in the paper. He said, these are the things I want to say about your farm. It's in a good location. It has a well-maintained house. The barns are sturdy. There's a very lush pasture out back. There's a beautiful pond, very fertile soil. It has a great view. Well, the farmer heard this, and he said to the realtor, please, do not put that ad in the paper. This is the kind of farm I've always wanted. I'm staying right here. <laughs> you see, the way we see things, the way we see life defines how we face life. Attitude and perspective are so important as we look at the circumstances of life. Looking at life through the eyes of God. And this morning we're going to look at life through the eyes of the Apostle Paul. If there was anyone, anyone, who had reason to give in to despair because of the circumstances of life, it was Paul. But from prison he writes one of the most joy-filled letters that anyone could write. So let's look at this text and see how this apostle was able to live above the circumstances and find joy right in the midst of them. Point number one, thriving in life's storms means having a new perspective of our circumstances. Having a new perspective of our circumstances. The chains in which Paul was bound by could not shackle his joy. Let me read to you once again in verses 12 through 14. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Does this sound like a man who was in despair? Look at verse 12 once again. Remember, Paul is bound with chains 24-7. 
for two years to a prison guard. And this is what he writes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has just happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of these chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul says this. He says, I'm looking at my circumstances. Here I am, chained to this guard by this 18-inch chain. He does not have freedom to come and go as he would please. For two years, he's chained by a guard. And then that guard is relieved by someone else and by someone else and by someone else. And yet he looks and writes. And he says what most people see as setbacks, he actually sees as progress. He said, these chains, they're not limiting to me. As a matter of fact, these chains are a tool that God is using to advance the gospel. And so he's not looking at his circumstances like a limitation. He's looking at his circumstances as something that God is going to use to be able to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The palace guard that are mentioned here in verse 13 let me just say something about these guards. Uh, Caesar Augustus in Rome, he hand-selected 10,000 guards. The palace guards, 10,000, hand-selected. And these guards were scattered throughout the empire to keep peace and protect Caesar. Now, one of these guards was chained to Paul. And after a certain amount of time, he was relieved by another. And after a certain amount of time, he was relieved by another, and another, and another. And what Paul is saying, that instead of looking at these soldiers as an inconvenience, he looks at each of these soldiers as a captive audience. I've got someone who can't get away from me. He's not saying or looking at it as I can't get away from him. But I've got someone who's going to be with me now for the next couple of hours. And he ain't getting away. And the Bible says that Paul began to share Christ with these guards. And then the next guard comes in. And Paul's got another captive audience, another soldier he could spend a couple of hours with. And what we read in this text is, is that these soldiers who heard the gospel, they would go back to their barracks and share that message with others until all 10,000 of the palace guard have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's not limited by being chained on this 18-inch chain. Paul is looking at this soldier as someone who he can share the gospel with. And so, Paul writes elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, all things, they really do work together for good. And Paul saw that in this, in, in this situation. Paul saw how God was using these circumstances. Not for limitation, but to advancement. We often read that verse and we say, sure, all things work together for good. And we look around us and we say, but boy, it doesn't seem like this is very good. Sometimes, you know, we just need to sit down and begin to look at things through the eyes of God. How does God see this? What exactly is God trying to do? You see, Paul was able to be in a situation in this, these circumstances and rather than sit down and pout and cry and do all, he said, God, how can I make the best of this? 
what God are you trying to do in all of this? And he discovered the reason. He knew what God was doing. God was trying to reach the entire palace guard with the gospel. And he decided to do what he did with Paul. He knew that God was much bigger than his own circumstances. And he began to see all of his experiences through the eyes of God, through his perspective. The second thing I see in this text is this, that thriving in life's storms, it means having a new perspective of others. Having a new perspective of others. Paul speaks of two groups of men, both preaching the gospel. And I, I emphasize that because, you know, when someone didn't preach the gospel, Paul was all over them, right? <laughs> I mean, Paul in the book of Galatians, what did he say about those who preached a different gospel? Let them be anathema. Let them be eternally condemned. So we know that the gospel, the pure gospel, is being preached by both of these groups. Or Paul would have left this one group have it. However, the one group he speaks of here is preaching the gospel, but their motives are completely wrong. As a matter of fact, it speaks here that, that they're trying to get Paul in trouble, that they're bad-mouthing Paul, that they're very jealous of Paul and his ministry. And so they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it with their motives that, boy, we want to get back at Paul. But then there's another group, and we read of that group, who uh, are preaching out of goodwill. Uh, it says that they're uh, preaching uh, with true motives. But the question then is asked, Paul, what do you think about these two groups? Are you okay with that? Paul, are you okay with men who are preaching out of false motives? And those who are preaching with true motives? Are you okay? And Paul says, you know what? Who cares? <laughs> That's what he says. He says, what does it matter? Christ is preached. And in that I rejoice. You know, I, I kept looking at this passage and I'm saying to myself, you know, if, if I saw someone preaching out of false motives, I'd say, that ain't right. How many times have you how many times have I watched TV evangelists and the gospel is clearly proclaimed, but they don't do things exactly the way we do them? And we would disagree with a lot of the things we see on TV. But Paul, you know what Paul would say? Is the gospel preached? Is Christ preached? Then what does it matter? I was reading J. Vernon McGee, his book on the book of Philippians, and most of you know J. Vernon McGee. He's a great guy, and I think he wrote a commentary on just about every uh, book of the Bible. But he says this, he says, The other evening I was driving down Church Row uh, in a certain city. I don't know what city this is. He doesn't mention it. doesn't want us to know, I guess, what city this is. But he said, I'm, I'm driving the other, other evening down Church Row in a certain city. And I found that all the great churches were closed up on Sunday night. But there was one church that was just hopping. One church was just jumping. People were all over the place. And I said to myself, well, I know one thing, that that man in there is preaching the word of God. Now he goes on to say, I disagree with him very severely on several points. But he's preaching Christ. And for that reason, he says, I will rejoice. Sometimes, he said, I feel like bowing my head in shame when I hear the way Christ is being preached. But I rejoice because Christ is preached. We need to be very careful about our criticism. How many times are we critical? 
of people who are preaching the gospel, the sincere, pure gospel of Jesus. And because they do things a little bit differently than us, we're critical. You know what Paul says? Is Christ being preached? Is the gospel message being proclaimed? Then does it really matter? Listen, we don't have a handle on everything that's right in this church. You know that, don't you? There are some people who do things that we may not agree with. The question isn't, do we agree with them or not? The question is, is Christ preached? Is Jesus Christ proclaimed? And if so, we ought to be thankful for that. And we ought to rejoice. That's what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying I necessarily agree with false motives. No one would. But he says, Christ is being preached. Well, it's easy to be critical of other churches. Maybe easy to be critical of other Christians. Because they just don't do things the way we do them. But that's okay. If Jesus Christ and the gospel is being preached. That's what Paul says. The third thing I see in this text is this. That thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in life's storms means having a new perspective regarding the future. Having a new perspective regarding the future. Look at verse 21 once again. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better for me. We can add that. For Paul, that would be far better. But it is more necessary for you here in the church of Philippi that I remain in the body. You know, either alternative is a good one, right? <laughs> either, really, either alternative for the Christian is a good one. To live, to die. I mean, we're in a win-win. <laughs> we, we can't go wrong in this one. If you live, that's a good thing. If you die, that's even a better thing. And Paul says, I'm, I'm in this, uh, this tension. Th there's a tension in Paul. He says, I'm torn. I am really struggling. Listen, first of all, he says, I have a desire to leave. Because he says, listen, if I leave, if I depart this life, then I am with Christ. And when we look at Paul's life and all of the persecution and the suffering, that would be far better. It's understandable considering, considering the troubles of Paul. Paul's not getting any younger. His health is failing. And Paul says, I'm homesick for heaven. You know, I am homesick for heaven. To just get away from all of this and be with Christ. You know, the book of Revelation speaks about heaven, speaks about no more sorrow. Can you imagine a place where never again will you sit in a hospital room and watch a parent suffer? Never again will you ever see your children hurt? Never again will you stand beside a casket and shed a tear for the loss of a spouse. Revelation also speaks of no more sin. You ever get tired of living? You ever get tired of suffering? You ever get tired of the chaos and turmoil that's in the world today? Revelation says there's no more sin in heaven. This evil world in which we live, filled with immorality and dishonesty, filled with lying and greed, hatred and war, Paul says to die 
is gain. To die is gain. And Paul has this, this desire, this great desire to just leave all of this and be with his Savior. But he also has another desire, and this is the tension. He said, I also have a desire to live. I also have this desire to live, which would not be better for me, but, you know, it's better for you. When he looks at this church in Philippi, for me to die is gain, but it's not gain for you. And Paul, in this tension, he says, you need me right now. You, the church in Philippi, you need me right now. You need me to minister to you. You need my counsel. You need my guidance. You need my prayers. Oh, I would love to depart. But should I go or should I stay? <laughs> and he says, you know, right now, as much as I would love to go, for you, I better stay. Now, Paul doesn't have a choice, right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't hold a key to life and death. But he's just expressing how he feels. But I want you to notice a couple of words in verse 25. The reason why Paul feels that he needs to stay. He says, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. See those two words? Progress and joy. The word progress, the idea is, I, I'm going to stay to help you grow and mature spiritually. You need me to help you in that. But the other word is the word joy. And this is the word that we're going to be looking at through the course of this series. You know, the, the, the church in Philippi appeared to be a church that didn't have a lot of problems. You know, there are some churches in the Bible, like Corinth, they were just filled with problems, and Paul had to address that. And Paul had to write and rebuke and, and, and give instructions. It didn't appear as though there were a lot of problems in Philippi, but what it did, does appear is that they weren't a joyful church. That some of the joy that they had at one time, it kind of was zapped. Maybe it was due to the fact that, you know, here is our leader. Here's the Apostle Paul, and now he's in prison. And that probably pulled some of the joy away from them. And so Paul says, I need to stay with you. I need to help you mature, but I also need to help you understand that even in the midst of circumstances, you can have joy. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit being what? Love, joy, peace. Joy is the second fruit. God wants us to experience his joy. And growth, progress, means to be experiencing the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, I'd love to go. But for your sake, i, I got to stick around. And I need to help you, as a church, be just a little bit more joyful. And I think one of the reasons we have the book of Philippians today is to help us as well. Uh, Paul is writing to this church, of course, directly. But I think he also is writing to the churches today. He's writing to us. And says, you know, maybe we as a church, maybe you as individuals, as families, maybe you need to just take your joy and step it up a notch. And I'm hoping as we go through this series that we're able to do just that. Even in the midst of the life storms. You see, Paul is saying, if we're going to really thrive, in life's storms. If we're going to do that, then we need this perspective. We need Paul's perspective. Of, first of all, our circumstances. That all things, they really do work together for good. 
And Paul demonstrated that in writing this little letter. That his chains were not limiting. They were actually advancing the gospel. We need to have his perspective on others. Maybe we need to stop being so critical of others who do things a little bit differently than we do. If the gospel of Christ is preached, Paul says, I rejoice. I am a happy camper that Christ's name is getting out there. And finally, his perspective on the future. For you and I, it's a win-win. God gives us a lot of years for us to live as Christ. God were for some reason to call us home. The Bible says it's far, far better. Where there's no more sorrow and no more sin. Paul says in the fourth chapter, rejoice in the Lord. You see, Paul's greatest possession was his relationship with Jesus. And in Jesus, he was able to find great joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul said again, let me repeat it if you didn't hear it the first time. And again I say to you, rejoice. Father, I pray that we might be filled with that joy. That joy, Lord, that we are to experience. A joy, Lord, that is not based on circumstances, but a joy that is deep within us. A joy based on the fact that we are the children of God's. A joy that is based on the fact that you, Lord, you look down upon us as your child. And we look up at you as our Heavenly Father. Nothing can destroy that relationship. No one can pluck us from your hand. Father, in that relationship, there is great and deep joy. But Father, we always want that joy to increase. And I know, Lord, as we look at a prayer list, there are many among us who are going through some really difficult times. It's not easy to be a joy-filled Christian when you're going through things like Paul experienced. But it's possible. And in my prayer, Lord, is as we study together in this little letter that you might increase our joy. That joy that is spoken of as unspeakable and full of glory. So use your word by your spirit to help us Rejoice in the Lord always. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I chose this closing song, Walking in Sunlight, all of my journey, because it, it, it kind of speaks of the bright sunshine and ever rejoicing and, and all of these things we've spoken of. So uh, look at the words very carefully. And um, I think this will lift our spirits and dismiss us on a on a great positive note. Let's stand together and we'll sing this as we're dismissed.
that you might fill us, fill us with that joy that, is, that only comes from you. And again, we're thankful, Father, that you have, once again, you have instructed us. And I pray, Lord, that your word might continue uh, to go with us and change us, uh, that we might become more like your son. Pray these things in Jesus' name.